Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 134. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. And on the Life of School podcast, I like to sit down with a panel of life science teachers and ask them uh, about issues that are going on in our classrooms. Uh, today, we officially kick off 2022, <laughs> which means we're, we're time traveling for my poor panelists who are recording this in late 2021. But it, we're, we'll pretend. We'll pretend. It's very happy new year for everybody. This is a, maybe the first person to say happy new year to my panelists. Um, and with this, we're going to discuss uh, how we go about revising um, aspects of our curriculum. It, it's almost like we're having a, a resolution or, or re, a renewal time. And, and so we're going to talk a little bit about revision as we do this. So as we kick off the episode, um, I always like to start with a goofy question. And and uh, this one's going to be, how, do you typically make a New Year's resolution or a goal for the upcoming year? And if so, like, what's your 2022 resolution? Uh, joining us from Illinois is Amy Kelly. Welcome, Amy. Hello. So I do normally try and set some sort of fitness goal. I uh, used to run half marathons all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I normally come up with some spring half marathon that I'm certain I'm going to run but I make sure not to pay for it because the, as soon as I pay for it, I know I have to run it because I'm too cheap not to run it if I pay for it. So I don't pay for it and then I don't run all winter and then I decide, yeah, forget that one. It's cause I, I, I hate running outside in the winter and I hate doing distance running on a treadmill. Like I can make it three miles. That's it. On a treadmill, I'm done. I don't care what I'm watching on TV or what podcast I'm listening to. I can't make it more than like a half hour on a treadmill. So um, my goal actually for this year is to try and um, maybe just do something I love every day. Like I need a little bit of work-life balance this year more than ever. I feel like a lot of the expectations on teachers have, you know, been really, really high uh, over the past couple of years, really. And so, uh, you know, I love photography and I used to do like photo projects, like, uh, you know, every, every week there's a different project, like maybe silhouette or black and white. And you just post the picture on, uh, you know, social media every week for whatever the topic is and people give you feedback. But I feel like something like that, just to, you know, get my creative juices going and to take my mind off of, uh, of teaching for a little bit. And so I think I would, I would love to, to try and do do something like that again, another photo project. Oh, that's, that's a very, uh, that is an achievable one. Um, I, I was going to say I'm the exact opposite. I, I have the same exact mindset about half marathons. Um, and that is actually why I always sign up and pay for them because that forces me to run them. Um, <laughs> I am, uh, but I sign it up and I put it on the calendar and it becomes a, uh, a drive for me to, to do those. So I, I understood everything that you said about that, except for I can't take pictures. So, um, <laughs> All right. And joining us from Colorado is Hannah Hathaway. Welcome, Hannah. Hi. Um, I'm, I don't know. I'm not a big resolution person. Um, I think that's just from life experience, knowing myself and uh, having like, you know, unsuccessful resolutions for many, many years. And I'm like, you know what? This is just not, not my thing. Um, instead, I find that I just get 
waves of motivation to do different things. And whenever that wave comes, I'll write it. Um, sometimes it is based around the school year for sure. Um, but my current little thing I'm trying to ride is on the same topic of work-life balance. Um, I've been successfully leaving my laptop at school like three nights a week. And so that's felt really awesome and trying to just, it's almost like a little competition with myself. Like how many days in a row can I go leaving my laptop at school? Um, and that has felt really wonderful. And so just trying to keep that good momentum going and not backsliding into working from home all the time. <laughs> that's, uh, wow, that's, that'd be interesting. That'd be an interesting challenge, except for I have two laptops right now. So um, I could leave my work <laughs> laptop at home at, at school. I still have my home laptop uh, <laughs> that I work on here. Uh, so unfortunately that wouldn't work very well for me as my motivation, but um, yeah, I, I love the idea of not, not doing schoolwork every night. Um, <laughs> uh, that's, that's the philosophy of my Saturdays off. Um, that I got from Lee Ferguson is I do not do schoolwork on Saturdays. That is my, that's my, my goal there. So for me, I, I'm also not typically a new year's resolution person. Um, but that's usually because I set my calendar based off of the school year. I mean, I've lived my whole life based off a of school calendar. So I tend to set a series of goals, usually more close to August 1st. Um, when I build my new, I have a planner system where I start a new planner, for August 1st. So I set a whole bunch of goals for the year on August 1st, which makes New Year's actually a really good time to revisit them. So I can go back and look and say, all right, you set out these three, four goals for the year. How are you doing? Or do any of them need to get, you know, reset? Um, I know that one of the things I had said to myself was um, I had looked into a couple of doctoral programs and I was going to look into taking a GRE and I have a GRE prep book, which I did open once um, back in September. Um, it's still sitting on my counter over there. Um, I think it's currently under a stack of comic books, which I have been reading on Saturdays. Um, so so maybe that's going to be when I go back and look at my goals here, I can notice, wait a minute, you know, you said you were going to you were to take that and maybe it's time to to set up some time and, and work on some of those goals. But um, I, I will say that the other ones I was, I was peeking at that before we recorded and said, yeah, I'm not doing so bad except for that one that said I was going to look into, the, I looked into the programs and I looked into a GRE. I just didn't get very far. So, so maybe this is the time to, to look into whether or not I actually take that exam um, and do that. Maybe they'll be test optional more and more. Yeah. grad school or graduate programs are going test option. Yeah. And so it's funny because I, I actually was at an event a couple of weeks ago. It was actually the first time I've been out at an event um, since the pandemic started. It was a small, you know, COVID safe gathering. And there was another teacher I know who's just started that program, um, but started it this past year. And I said, oh, I haven't taken the GREs. And she said, oh, I, they waived it last year. And I was like, oh, they waived it last year. So I, I could, if I had applied during the pandemic, which I couldn't, manage anything. They, they did waive it. But when you look on the website, it does say that it is a requirement to, to do the program. So you're right. Maybe I need to go back and look and maybe they maybe they will revisit that policy. But uh, as of right now, that says that I have to take it. So um, it is. We say that's a barrier. It's a barrier to entering a program, uh, but uh, not one that I can't overcome. Um, uh, but but I have to revisit that. All right. Well, as I as I mentioned in our at our intro, um, today I want to talk about designing revisions into our curriculum. So this is like actually kind of part of an arc that we've been going on for the the last few months. You know, we talked about you know how do we like what are what goes into our curriculum. Um, 
uh, last month and like how do we collaborate? And then then we talked about, uh, you know, grading policies and that sort of stuff. And these are all things that, that tie into the concept of revision. But um, the fact is, is that we we all kind of go in and we work with students on a on a daily basis. And and I, I know that you know, as thoughtful teachers, and this is definitely a panel of very thoughtful teachers, we're, we're always getting this little feedback and we're thinking, oh, this could be better, that could be better. Um, but saying this could be better, that could be better is very different than actually redesigning fundamental aspects of the curriculum and, and doing that stuff. So um, I'm going to start with sort of, again, a, a stage setting uh, question. Um, how much pre-planning goes into your teaching? Like, how do you structure your units? Do you do it by unit or do you for the whole year? Or do you like day by day, week by week, what kind of goes into your your planning system? I think to give us a little uh, context of when we go to redesign, what levels are we redesigning? And so, so Amy, how about you? Um, what goes into your pre-planning and how do you pre-plan? So our biology team actually designated set objectives and we break those objectives into units. And so that has already been designated and we also agreed on types of assessments we would do and their point values. And based on the, the teachers that I work with, we felt that it would be in the best interest, not necessarily to do everything common, but to at least decide, okay, this is how I'm going to assess this goal. And this is how many points we'll assign to this goal. So I, uh, I usually will go in with a unit in mind and I'll, I'll make a general map of what I think is going to happen and when I think it's going to happen. But uh, a lot of times things don't go as planned, especially because I teach a lot of co-taught sections. And so I have very diverse learners. A lot of differentiation has to go into those courses. And I have a co-teacher I meet with to differentiate. So a lot of times my plans go out the window a little bit. And so usually what I do is I try and plan maybe a week's lessons at a time. Um, so I have the main skeleton of, of what should happen in that unit, but the, the actual detailed plans I try and do about a week in advance. But I'm always, you know, kind of editing and planning based on formatives and making adjustments and, and things of that nature based on how the kids did in the previous classes. Mm -hmm. All right. How about you, Hannah? What, what is your planning like? Um, well, I, I do tend to plan at least like sketch out big picture, um, for the whole year, um, over the summer. So, I teach AP bio and then on level bio. Um, and for AP bio, I'm the only AP bio teacher at our school. So I have a lot of flexibility to kind of do what I want to do. Um, but up until this year and previous years, um, we, we all had the same final across all of our high schools in our charter network. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of um, stuck with certain like goalposts along the way. But this year, AP Bio is not network managed, and I got to make my own final and teach things in the order I wanted to, which has been wonderful and has given a lot more flexibility in how I map out my units and mapped out the year. Um, and on Level Bio, we are all given the same final um, for all of our different high schools. Um, at my school, there's one other bio teacher, so we have two bio teachers, and we um, are on the same calendar. 
Mm -hmm. um, for various logistical reasons. Um, so I, I like to at least have a little bit of a roadmap of sort of like what standards are we going to teach when, sort of ge very generally, like what activities are we going to do on certain days? Um, but then in terms of actual like detailed, mm -hmm. exactly more like prep work, I would say um, a couple of days before, uh, on a bad day, the morning before, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so a mixture, super super planned out and then uh, super last minute at the same time. Are, are you saying I should know exactly what I'm going to do in all of my periods tomorrow um, as we're recording on what? Sunday evening? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's funny as you say that, like, cause I, I, I have a, uh, my, my, my school um, and as a department, um, so I'm in a giant school, you know, like we're, you know, over 1900 or 1900 ish um, of students. We've got all these different levels. So um, for my AP, it's just me and one other teacher. And so we have like, we, we sat down and we don't teach according to sort of any college board plan. We have this sort of crazy open schedule. We te teach very storylined uh, to varying degrees of success. It's like, it's kind of chaos how we teach it. And, um, and so, and we're totally in charge of that. And so we have sort of a big, broad set of goals that we're going to do and we have, we're going to hit all the learning objectives in, in some different buckets, but we'll set out and we'll meet at the beginning of a unit and we'll sort of rough outline what we think the next, you know, two months are going to be like, and we'll set a rough outline and build that out. And for the, the general bio where there are, you know, a ton of different teachers and a ton of different levels and five other, you know, I'm one of five uh, honors bio teachers. Um, I, I usually get together and I set a general schedule of, all right, we're starting here. We have agreed upon learning objectives. We're going to get to here. We're going to assess in and around these couple of days because we have a rotating schedule. Um, and I sort of set a, a parameter for it, but teachers are able to decide what they want to do on a day-to-day -day basis to get from A to B. And I just sort of lay out a bunch of different options and sort of a, how many days you should be dedicating to each set of learning objectives, you know, like oh, we're going to be doing this. And and so usually we do a big lab that has to do with this. So you want to spend like four days on enzymes because I know everybody wants to do an enzyme lab. So it's not just this activity, but everyone wants a couple extra days to do the lab. And if a teacher doesn't want to do that, they could get rid of that lab and just do two days and then move those around. So they, people have autonomy to make some decisions, but I set out sort of a, a general guideline of you know, these are sort of the things that I'm thinking about and I share them out and I get feedback and, and it's a collaborative effort. Like we work on that um, and we sort of all kind of get to an agreement on that uh, about there. But I will say I come from a a root of, um, and I actually was describing this to somebody just the other day that when I started teaching, it was as if the students were irrelevant. Like I would just sit down and I would take out our learning objectives and I'd say, we're going to do this on this day and this on this day and this on this day. And like we'll cover all of this stuff and then we'll test on this day. And that was a schedule and that was a schedule. I set the schedule and we taught that. And it really didn't matter what the students understood or how the students proceeded during that. Like that was my start and that was my finish. And we just went. And I would love to say that like I've planned in a lot of time for revision and for student feedback and for that stuff like that. But I, I fundamentally think that, um, that it's been a very slow evolution towards changing that. And I, I think that my teaching prep and my unit prep still reflects that we're starting on this day and we're going to end roughly on this day and is probably still too rigid. Um, but that's, I mean, that's, that's sort of where, where things work out. So I, I'm not 
hard plan for the year, but I'm usually hard plan for about six weeks at a time. Um, <laughs> probably a five or six week units. I, I sort of chunk things out. All right. So uh, I gave a little bit of a confession there about uh, the <laughs> feedback and uh, how those things are. But but how do you get you know feedback on how aspects of your curriculum? And and uh, this is where uh, Amy's going to make me feel bad because I've heard Amy's view about getting uh, you know feedback from her students and colleagues and all that stuff. And so this is the opportunity for Amy to realize. Well, I've now revealed my weakness, and I know Amy's strength. And so this is now the opportunity for Amy to like. Uh, I know shame is not the place I should go to, but I'm going to get to feel shame for Amy's reflective, really great work on this, uh, on that. But uh, I'll, I'll have Hannah go first on this one. But I want to know, <laughs> how do you get how do you get feedback um, that 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 some aspects of your curriculum are not working or if, you know, is it from student formative work? Is it from the summative work? Is it discussion from colleagues, discussion with supervisors? Um, Hannah, how, how do you get feedback um, from your students? Yeah, I think um, formative and summative work is sort of the easiest place to go. Uh, it's just it's already built into what you're doing every day. So that's easy to kind of look at. Um, I also, I try to do at least a couple times a trimester, just like check-ins with students, usually through like a Google form or something. Um, and then just also talking to students casually, tutoring or whatever about how they feel like things are going um, and just trying to incorporate that feedback. Uh, in terms of feedback from other sources, I don't feel like my instructional coach is familiar enough with the curriculum sometimes to give that feedback unless I bring like a specific, this is a, a noticing I'm having. Um, mm. We do, uh, since I'm at this charter network, it's essentially like being at a larger school where you'd have a lot of different biology teachers. We just all happen to be different biology teachers in different buildings. Um, that's a really valuable resource, um, especially this past year, because, you know, it was a pandemic year and, and we said to ourselves, no, it'd be fun. Let's completely change our curriculum also <laughs> this year. <laughs> um, so we did. And then again, this year, they're like, let's change it again. So that's, that's been a journey. Um, but it's just really nice to have other teachers to check in with and see how it's going in their classrooms and with their cohort of students and kind of uh, see if we're all having similar struggles and then um, try to revamp things from there. Like right now there's, um, we're just having a lot of challenges with like discussion and getting students to actually like verbally participate. And that's been driving a lot of changes in sort of our pacing currently. Um, and that has come out in part from our own classroom observations, but other also from hearing similar things from other teachers, which made it feel like, okay, maybe it's not just something funky I'm doing. It's something, um, it's a larger problem. Oh, that's, that's interesting. And so these are, it could be colleagues. So how different are the, the school cultures of the different schools? Are they, are they similar? I mean, they're all charter schools, but I know that just because some things, you know, they're in the same network, they could have very different cultural differences, school to school or schedule to schedule. Are they close enough that the the feedback or the discussions feel like you're comparing apples with apples? Yeah, for sure. Um, we're all like lockstep and things like schedule, um, at least like school schedule. Last year, actually, we all, it, the way it turned out, I think because it was a pandemic year and everyone was just struggling, 
and we also changed our curriculum. Um, it, the way it ended up working was me and my teaching partner um, sort of ended up planning for the whole network. And I think we were just two days ahead of everyone. And so they were like, great, we'll just use what you're doing. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think because of that now, we're much more in sync than we have been in previous years. But our campuses are very different yeah. um, and have different focuses and different student populations as well, um, which makes, which, you know, adds additional layers of challenge. Um, but it's still really interesting to have, you know, seven teachers teaching at different campuses with different student populations, but doing essentially the same curriculum and seeing how it goes. Yeah. Um, so that's a very valuable resource. Yeah, that is, that's interesting. That's, a, that's an interesting dynamic. All right, Amy, how about you? Um, where where do you get feedback on whether or not something in your curriculum needs to get redesigned? So I I rely really heavily on student feedback, and that comes from the fact that for the longest time I've been teaching Kotov biology, and prior to last year it was a modified Kotov biology course too, and recently we switched over to making it uh, a general biology course that is co-taught. So what I'm getting at is I have a, a, such a huge diversity in, in learners. Mm. And so what is working for one child is not necessarily working for the rest of the class. So I do a lot with surveys and I take a lot of data on my formatives to try and push me to make new goals for my classes based on on how they're performing and it can be a difficult task because certain classes perform differently than others mm -hmm. but we definitely try our best to try and um, help every kid meet those objectives so a lot of times I don't assign an actual like grade or points or anything like that on a formative I just give them feedback and they don't really um, know if they did really, really well or, or not, because I try to give the same amount of feedback to all students just to help them personally grow. And I do try and find connections. So sometimes the kids will be willing to share like a story about something and that will help me decide like, how should I, how can I push this, this curriculum in a different direction that'll help the students connect more? So for example, uh, we teach biodiversity every year and um, for the most part, the kids don't, they don't really love the biodiversity stuff. They don't like the statistics involved with it. And a lot of like the endangered species stuff is things they learned in junior high. Mm -hmm. So I had a kid who was telling me early in the unit, um, he's like, you know, it's interesting in California, you can't even set up, you can't even have a bonfire at certain times of year. You can't even have a campfire. And we started getting into why that was. And then we really realized that the kids had a strong interest in these wildfires. Being from Illinois, we don't have experience with wildfires at all. Tornadoes, we know, <laughs> but wildfires, we don't. So I just redid the whole biodiversity unit with the whole phenomenon of the wildfires in California. And we started doing like biodiversity index with different species, some fire tolerant, some fire intolerant. And we started looking at drought and um, we're meeting all of our objectives, but we're doing it in a way that's different from what we did in the past. But the kids were more on board with it. 
because it came from something that they had seen in social media. Mm. You know, mm. they have seen these fires. They saw in Australia, the koalas with the burnt feet. And that really, you know, triggered them to want to know more. They weren't so interested in talking about, um, you know, endangered species. They were more interested in this fire. So I really do try and find uh, ways to connect with the kids and I really want them to be curious. And if the topic we're doing is not getting them involved and getting them connected, I know that I need to dive in and find some sort of connection that they are interested in. And sometimes that diving takes me to TikTok and it's a place <laughs> I don't go very often, um, but yeah, I did. I definitely went to TikTok a few times and tried to find stuff that might inspire them. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do to help them get their connections. Um, so that's honestly, I feel like the kids are the most important teachers and they're the most important thing, you know, people in the room. So I just try and, and get evidence from them. And sometimes it's on paper and sometimes it's through their conversations. Wow. I mean, there's so much that comes out of that. I, I, it reminds me of the fact that I often, I often talk about, um, and I, I don't mean to sound in a disparaging way, but I often say that, that teachers who aren't in science classrooms have this caricature that, that the science classes that are being taught in the high school look exactly like their personal experience of being a high school student. So if they graduated from high school 20 years ago, they went to a school where they were probably lectured at. They took a whole bunch of notes. They had to learn a bunch of facts and they were tested on those facts. And the concept that you're describing, surveying your students on their interest, going to TikTok to get, you know, phenomenon to drive them in, refocusing in order to hit learning objectives based off of student interest and the connections and the amount of, of quality work that goes into that is so disparate than what people think a high school science classroom looks like. It's, it's like, it's, it's almost like it's both inspiring and maddening. If you look at it from that perspective, like it's, it's amazing. It's great work. And it, it's work that, you know, is, is it, it sounds exhausting and sounds inspiring and sounds exciting, but also I, I think it is like so underappreciated um, <laughs> because uh, it, it's, it's really what good teaching looks like in, you know, 2021, 2022. That's, that's, you got to meet the kids where they are. Um, and so, yeah, I had to, I had to get up a soapbox about there. Cause that's, that's quite remarkable work. <laughs> um, so if, no, if nobody else tells you that they appreciate that kind of effort, I want you to hear it from me. I mean, that that's, I, I think that's amazing. Um <laughs> So, well, thank you. And honestly, like I said, I feel like when you have, when you teach honors or you teach AP, you have a different level of difficulty, a different set of challenges. But when you te are teaching a group, and I know Erin, you know, through your experience, but when they're, when they're less than motivated or they're coming into the room with a lot of struggle, mm. you have to really meet them where they're at yeah. and you have to find yeah. what gets them to be excited about science because otherwise they're going to sh sometimes shut down and it's hard to get them back when they, when they begin to, to shut down. Yeah. So they're, they're really the inspiration to everything that I've been trying to, to do as an educator is just, you know, really to meet those kids in a place that will inspire them to like be informed citizens. Like I tell them all the time, I don't care 
if you know what mitosis is when you leave biology, but I want you, when your doctor tells you that this is going on with your body, I want you to be able to make an informed decision. Mm. You know, that's the, that's the point yeah. of science yeah. um, for a lot of our students is just for them to learn to make decisions based on information that may be challenging sometimes to interpret. So I, you know, I, I keep pushing for yeah. that, but it is it is a lot of work to constantly um redirect and to have a set you know plan in mind you know and to have to completely switch like i was totally going tusklessness in africa which is still wonderful and i'll still hit it at some point but i had to redirect and be okay let's do fires in in california first because this is something that you guys are really motivated to to learn about yeah and i will say that um I think that you just, you unlocked a little bit something for me that maybe one of the things that I've struggled with a little bit over the last couple of years is I haven't been teaching that alternative program group because I would have to do like what you described is exactly how I taught my, my alternative program kids. Like I really did. I I did almost zero planning. I would like, I had no test plan. Like I had no unit schedule for those guys. I would, I would just go in with like a bunch of like kind of neat activities I thought. And I would like literally just feel my way out till when I thought we were at a decent place in order to do an assessment. Like it was just like, it was very freeform. But at the same time, I'm going to push back a little bit and say, I think that the honors and the AP students also deserve that degree of engagement. They, they, and, and just because they're compliant and just because they, they're, they, even if you don't ask them what they're interested in, they will put their nose down and do that. That does not necessarily make them better citizens. And they should have to ask questions. And in fact, when you ask my honors students about their their questions, and in fact, I've been using a driving question board a little bit this this year with that group, and I've been thinking about now bringing into my AP class, like starting to ask them about these topics and what they're interested in, they actually struggle a little bit more. Like they really have a hard time coming up with questions because nobody ever asks them what they think about or what they care about. Like school is not a place for them to have opinions and thoughts. School is a place where they're going to be very compliant and they're going to be doing what they, they're told. And I think that's a pretty good recipe for them to get the vision that what I'm good at is being compliant and following rules and maybe not so much about the creative thinking. And the fact is, is that if they're, they're able to do great work and then realize that they are creative, dynamic citizens that can do things, they, sh- they should be doing that. Like, and again, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it enough, but I, I actually think that they deserve, they deserve, they deserve voice and choice as much as the students who are who have like worn us down to provide them voice and choice. <laughs> the compliance students deserve voice and choice as well. So, um, so yeah, I think that yeah, you unlocked a little bit of maybe some of my own frustration because I haven't had that sandbox where I I go to one class once a pe- once a day and they're like, okay, what's going to happen today? I haven't had a lot the last you know few years with that, um, and and it did it did it did help me stay creative. Um, I'll just sort of put a button on this question and say, historically, you know, um, I, I pretty much have taken almost all of my feedback from summative assessments and t- discussions with my colleagues as the unit's going like, like, oh, I gave or, you know, I gave a quiz. What was your average? My average was an eight out of 10. Yep. They mostly got this. Um, like, I, you know, or I gave a test. My average was this. They mostly got this. What didn't they get? All right. Maybe I'll go back and I'll, okay, make sure to rehit this thing. But for the most part, I, I didn't rely very heavily on formative feedback. 
um, I've been working on more and more bringing that in. But as I said, right now I'm in an honors AP land and they're just like, if they don't get it, I can say, Hey, you didn't get this. And they'll grind it out and try to figure it out because they're motivated and driven. But, um, again, I don't know that that's best practice. I don't know that that's, that's, I don't know that that's really good. It's, it's in a lot of ways harder to know all that, that stuff. There are different, as you said, different challenges, but I wonder how much more dynamic the class could be if we brought those, brought those same concepts in and maybe we wouldn't need as much, you know, reteaching if we can do that engagement piece with those honors and AP kids. All right. All right. So now for aspiration time. Let's think about it. It's the it's the New Year's. It's our new right. This basically this is your 2022 New Year's classroom resolution. Um, you don't have to you know agree to do it, but uh, it'll give you an opportunity to think about it. So, what's the part of your curriculum that you would like to redesign the most? What would what what aspect of how you walk into designing your curriculum or planning your curriculum or and, you know what needs redesigned the most? What what do you think would be the best thing to attack? And and we'll go back with you, Amy. What what would you like to redesign the most? So in the last several years, we switched over to storylining. And um, I know uh, Jason Crean, he used to always say that, you know, science isn't always hands-on, but it's minds-on. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of activity that is phenomenon-based and we do driving question boards. And I love, I love phenomenon-based teaching, but I do feel like I need to incorporate more like inquiry-based wet labs. Like we do a lot of paper-based activity with the Illinois storylines, but um, the kids need to, they need to get in there and they need to, they need to be investigating, not just following procedures, which is typical of what I would do in a wet lab. They would follow my procedures exactly how I wrote them and answer questions on what they see to prove that they're seeing the things that I expect them to see. Mm. But a lot of times I found they have no clue why um, they're seeing the things they're seeing. And so I know last time that we talked, Erin, you were explaining your ladybug <laughs> lab with uh, the temperatures. And I thought, you know, that's the kind of thing I would like to do more of where the kids are really trying to design their experiments, they're collecting data, they're trying to figure stuff out without necessarily a set answer or a set expectation. Yeah. Because that's what science is really all about. Scientists don't go in and do a bunch of experiments on things that they already know, you know, what the exact outcome will be. They experiment to find answers to questions that they have. Mm -hmm. So, or to replicate you know, to, to ensure validity. So I feel like that's something I need to do more of. Um, I feel like that I'm still the person in the room who's in charge. And although I give the students choice and I look to them for inspiration, I'm still the author of everything that we do in class. And I feel like um, I would like the students to be more involved in directing their learning and be more involved in, 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 in inquiry. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's hard. I mean, it takes a lot of scaffolding and I'm dealing with that with my younger students right now. You, you've now walked into my name. This is like, now we've walked into my strength. So this, this is the thing I give, but like you could do something as simple as like, you know, the same idea of brainstorming out, like, you know, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna brainstorm out. You're going to change 
you know, we're going to have this as our, you know, our, our independent variable, we're going to change this thing, but what could we measure out as a different, and you could get things like, you know, a little whiteboard uh, dice and you could write, you know, different dependent variables that could be measured and units that you could write. And the, you could have the kids brainstorm out different things you could do. So like, let's say you're doing something like an enzyme lab, you know, you could do something where you're reacting, you know, catalase and yeast, and you could have them talk about like, well, what are the different ways they could measure it? Well, they could measure the time of the reaction. They could measure the height of the reaction. They could measure, like you could talk about different things that could, you could vary in the thing. And then like very much almost like a, you know, like those cooking shows where they get the challenges. It's like, all right, you could pick from column A and from column B and from column C. What is your question? What's your independent variable? What's your dependent variable? You got to pick one from here, one from here, one from here. Every group gets to do the same thing. And that's sort of a, a control, like that's not fully opening the inquiry box. It's, it's very much guided inquiry, but you could have a lot of student voice involved in that. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I've really enjoyed I very much agree with you. And I think that I'm great at doing open inquiry with my AP kids. And I'm, I've historically been kind of terrible at doing it. And I realized, oh, like, no, I totally know how to do this. And I've been trying to do those same things with my younger students of, oh, no, let's, I can do the same thing. I know how to do this like nine different ways. Let me just lead them through discussion and let them have ownership and voice in that. And every once in a while, they throw mm -hmm. something out and they're like, well, could we do this? And you go, Sure, sure. Why not? Go ahead. Why, you know, like, let's try that. And then that's what you're saying, that excitement of both the ownership and we don't know. And they're like, well, what's going to happen? And you're like, I don't know. Nobody's ever done that before. And, and that's, that's fun. That's like, and they'll hopefully get that excitement that you're like, wait, wait a minute, you don't know the answer. Um, and I've had some of that this, this uh, fall. And that's been the greatest thing since getting back from the pandemic is the kids saying, wait a minute, you don't know what's going to happen. I'm like, nope, call that science. <laughs> so yeah. Well, we, we dissected urchins on Friday, never done it before ever. Like I've never dissected an urchin before. So they cracked it open. I'm like, guys, I don't even, I only seen a video. I only watch YouTube on this. They're like, what, wait, what? I'm like, no, I really, I've never seen, I've never seen the inside. We just bought them. And I figured why not let you guys explore? And it was fun. Cause then they were trying to like teach me stuff that they read in the little guidebook. They're like, look at this, you know what this is. Right. And it was fun. It was fun to let them kind of take the reins and, and, you know, it was a fun activity. So yeah. And I do like that. It's almost like a controlled chaos instead of like, well, I'm not letting one do an urchin, one do an octopus, one do a cat. Yeah. <laughs> they're all doing urchins, you know, but you know, at least they're exploring it and they're not necessarily following um, my set protocol. And it, it was a lot of fun. So I could see that working out really well. That's great. All right, Hannah, how about you? What do you want to change the most in your redesign of your curriculum? Yeah. Um, in my on-level bio class, which we also have switched to storylines in recent years, we do like a weird hybrid of some Illinois storylines and then um, some storylines out of CU Boulder called Inquiry Hub. Um, but I 100% agree, Amy, there's a lack of wet labs um, in a lot of the storylines right now. And um, there's definitely a lack of inquiry labs. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something I would love to incorporate more of and uh, sort of going into the next units we're doing. We're me and my uh, teaching partner, we're going to try to at least put in a couple more labs. Are they going to be inquiry labs? Uh, who knows? <laughs> Probably not. Um, but at least a few more wet labs just to teach some of those skills. Um, 
in AP bio, my dreams are bigger. I feel like um, I struggle a lot with uh, teaching the students the things they need to know to be successful on the AP biology exam versus teaching students how to uh, be successful scientists versus teaching students how to be critical thinkers. Uh, those things I think overlap a lot of the time and also don't a lot of the time. Um, we're also an AP bio is first bio school. So that I think makes the pace a little more frantic. So um, if I had a magic wand, I would make AP bio a two year course like it is for physics or calculus where you could choose to take AP bio one or two. Mm. Um, but since I don't have a magic wand and I can't do that, um, <laughs> uh, every year it's an ongoing, what content can I cut so I can make room for inquiry? Like uh, we just finished a two week enzymes unit where we did all the normal enzyme stuff, but then they did a really big um, independent experiment where they designed everything themselves. And it's very stressful for them because they've never had the training wheels just totally taken off like that. And um, every year I think I'm doing better at helping them navigate through that. But two weeks is a long time to spend on enzymes um, because it's not just enzymes, obviously. We're doing experimental design and things like that too. Um, but to make room for that, there's content I had to cut. And it's the same thing. It's like there's so many other places where we could do so much more interesting and deeper experiences. But that means I have to cut some other content. Um, hmm. And so, yeah, it, that's just the hardest thing for me is I wish I could have a better feel of what are the things I can lose in order to gain things that I think are so much better to gain. So, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be with you in a couple of years, uh, cause we're in the process of our AP biology is a second year course right now, but the plan is to make it our fir a first year course cause we're redesigning sequence. And, um, so I do know that I have a, a, you know, in addition to all of the other privilege from my school district that I have, um, uh, which is robust. Uh, we have a lot of privilege. Uh, I, I do know that we're going to come about it, but I, I, at the moment don't intend to change my approach to teaching AP at going in. And that's not to say we're not going to completely change because we're going to tweak some things. We've, I'm, I've been taking furious notes as we've been going through what stuff could they not do? What students, what stuff would we have to scaffold in based off of the approach we go? But I am very much a believer that the science practices and the task verbs are more important than the content. Um, that if you want students to be successful in the AP, if they understand the science practices and they can do all six of them and they can do them well and they know what those task verbs mean um, that are on the AP exam and they know enough of the content, they will do just fine. Um, and I am not, a, you know, I am not, I do not feel beholden to touch all of the content in that whole CED, but I'm going to like really crush those other two things. Like, Task verbs and science practices all day long, every day, 
that's that comes first. And so for me, the lab stuff, that's why I, I feel the way I do about labs. Uh, talk to me in two years after I have a very different population and I probably will be singing a very different tune. But um, that my intention is to is to lead that way when we go into it. Um, so as I've mentioned before, for me, in terms of redesign, I really want to have the students work and the students voice really drive my instruction. And so I've been you know, mentioned Jason before and driving question boards. Um, I've been doing that and I described it the other day, um, you know, the beginning of my unit, I did a driving question board. Where I'm like, here are these topics. What are you, what are your questions that you have about that? And I described it to my colleague. It was like, I have created this, this, this board of sticky notes in my room that is stressing me out because I have to figure out how to revisit these. Like I asked the kids their opinion, but I didn't do it as performative. I didn't do it as like a box to check off on my evaluation. I did it because I want the students to have voice and I'm stressed about how to bring those concepts back in. Like I knew how I was going to do it the first time, but there's this like, it's, it's taunting me. It's like this board of questions and sticky notes that the kids put up and it's like taunting me to do it. Um, and it, it tells me that I have, I need to redesign my course to make it a natural flow to bring back those questions and really have their voice in there. So, um, may not have been the most, uh, mentally healthy thing to add to my <laughs> teaching this year because it's stressing me out, but it's, I basically took a risk and had my students, tell me what their questions were at the beginning of the unit about all of our topics. And I put them up there and I'm committed to trying to figure out how to bring those back in. So, um, yeah. That's one of the things that I try and have the kids do too. Like I'll have them get up there and try and organize the post-its into categories. And I've done it on Jamboard too, so that it's a little easier for them to all see and try and move things around. But I found that that helped a little bit because then you start to see like how they're categorizing the questions. But also uh, one thing I tried this year, because I'm with you, like I wanted to like find a way to make every question work perfectly (laughs) because like I like to tell a story almost like it's like a like a a, a science book. Like I like it to all flow and, and mesh. And when it doesn't, when something's a little out of place and it doesn't quite fit my narrative, it bothers me. Um, But one thing I did do this year that I found on social media was that um, some teachers were asking students to pick what they thought were top priority questions off the driving question board and asking the students to answer them. Um, And then they would have the students like report back what they learned and if they had an additional question that they could add now that they learned the answers to the other questions. Yeah. So I tried this, I did a phenomenon. Um, I said that I, well, I went to the pet store and there was vegan cat food. And so I, I showed the kids a picture of my cat and I asked if he should be vegan or not. And so they made a driving question board about veganism and cats. And then I had them go in and pick top priority questions they think we should figure out and answer them. And then they shared out. And then we kind of pinpointed like what are like the two or three things we still haven't answered that we need to figure out. And it kind of reduced a little bit of the load and um, made things flow a little bit better. I thought to it towards getting to that point of answering the question, but my first experiences with driving question boards were the same. They were more overwhelming than anything else. Yeah. 
Well, but I mean, I I do think that that's. I mean, I I, I kind of knew that I was going to do that. Like, I I'm I'm knowledgeable enough about my uh my uh, type A personality to know that I was. I knew I was setting myself up to drive myself crazy. Um, but um, two things. One, I have the idea that I, by the way, built a Jamboard, and the nice thing about Google Classroom and Jamboards is you can assign a Jamboard that you can assign each student their own Jamboard. So actually, what I did on Friday is I went through the questions about um, cell parts and I think it was cell parts and cell transport that we hadn't gotten to um, that like things that we hadn't gotten to. And I basically took all of those and I made sticky notes on Jamboards. And I'm, that's what, that is what our first activity in class in honors bio tomorrow is going to be, is going to be organize these sticky notes into one of three buckets. Is it a question I can answer, a question I can't answer, a question that needs to be reworded or, you know, redivided? Because some of the questions also are not, they're not in a, like uh, a user-friendly way. Like there's too vague and I don't need to, like, I don't know what to do with them because they're, they're, the language is so vague that I don't, it doesn't mean anything to me, but they're not my questions. They're the students' questions. So what do the students think about that? So I'm going to have them do that and then look to consensus from there. Um, and I also did, I did some similar thing where I did a rotating stations and I made one of the stations, a bunch of the sticky notes. So the kids would come by and check, yes, we can do this. No, we can't do this. So I did that last, you know, a couple weeks ago, and this is now another attempt. So I'm trying to figure out ways that I can incorporate these questions in uh, as we do this. So like, have we been answering these questions uh, that's there? But the other thought that I have is that my term, like term four, I don't currently really have a term four project. And one of my thoughts was, is that what if we have all these sticky notes that the kids haven't answered throughout the year? What if the kids do independent projects during term four and they pick, you know, one of these questions and they, they expand it and they define it and they do a project where they present on one of these topics that are in the unanswered questions box that's left over. Cause I have, I'm going to keep them from all the units for the whole year and the students can either create their own or they could pull from this list and we're going to have, I mean, I'll have, I'm a third of the way through the year. I've got, you know, almost halfway through the year. And I've already got like a whole bunch of unanswered questions up there that we, we haven't answered. And I just imagine as we go through, we're going to build more of those. So I am thinking about that as a potential op option. And then you talk about alternative assessment. Could that be a podcast? Could that be a presentation? Could that be, that could be a, any number of different ways that they could demonstrate an understanding and show a lot of their science skills from the year. So that's very exciting. So, all right. Well, I believe it or not feel inspired. Um, that I'm not doing a terrible job. Um, but <laughs> the things that I'm not doing well, like I have room for growth and I I'm moving along those lines. Um, so, so, uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy about that. So uh, we're going to kick off 2022 and a nice positive note here that we've got like things we're working on and, uh, and it's, it's exciting. So, um, all right. Well, thank you two for joining me. Let me give uh, let me give my credits. Uh, please subscribe to Life of School on your podcast player of choice. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash lots and get show notes there. And you can also chip in a buck or two a month uh, to support the work we do. You can also go to lifeoftheschool.org to get show notes as well. Uh, music in this and every episode is provided by Jake Jenkins and X Magicians. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School. And I will tag our two panelists, Hannah and Amy, um, as I tweet this out in the beginning of 2022. So thank you for joining me um, and uh, we'll talk to everybody soon. Bye.